you can receive the offering. Hallelujah. You know, while they're passing the buckets, I've only got about 40 minutes left. So I'm going to go ahead and get started. If you can pass a bucket and think at the same time, that would be awesome. So last night I started sharing on the true gospel. And I really believe that as a whole, the body of Christ does not understand the gospel or at the very, the, the most complimentary thing you could say is that they have perverted the gospel. They've mixed it with other things about their own works and our own goodness. And most of us today do not really look to Jesus completely for everything. We instead believe that he provided part of it and we have to supplement and add to it. You know, I I thought of this example last night. I didn't use it, but let me just start with this, that um, I heard a story about a preacher whose kid, uh, some other kids asked him to ask his son to go to the movie with them. And so the preacher asked his son and says, well, what's the movie rated? And he says, well, it's R rated, but there's just a little bit of stuff, just a little bit of profanity, a little bit of nudity, but overall it's really good. All of the other kids think it's okay. And so I want to go. And the, and the man said, no, you can't go. And his son was really disappointed. So in order to be able to compensate, he, he told his son that he could invite his friends over to the house. So they came over to the house and they were playing and doing different things. And he baked some brownies for them. And he brought these brownies out to all of the kids. Man, they were really excited. Hot brownies. They were ready to eat it. And he says, but right before you eat it, let me tell you, there's just a little bit of dog poop that I put in it. He says, it's not enough. You probably won't taste it. It won't do you any damage. But I just want you to know there's just a little bit of dog poop. (laughs) And of course, none of them would eat it. And his point was that, you know what, a little bit is more than enough for this stuff. And sad to say, there's a lot of people that think, well, you know, the gospel, uh, talking about the grace of God, maybe, but there, you know, sometimes condemnation can be good. You know, you use it. And so they mix things in with it. But the moment you add anything to what Jesus has done, you've polluted the whole thing. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing except faith in what he's done equals everything. The gospel is the power of God. It's what releases the power of God in your life. And that's what we talked about last night. And then in Romans chapter 1, verse that was Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 that we talked about last night. In verse 18... Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God has showed it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. You know, if you would, when you get a scripture, when you take something like uh, Romans 1 16 that talks about the gospel being the power of God, if you will put it in its context and read it in the context and see things, it helps you understand more what he's talking about. 
So let me just pose this question to you. Why, after he was talking about the goodness of God, the grace of God, why did he start talking about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven? And the answer to that question is, is because anytime you start talking about the grace of God and you start saying that Jesus has paid it all and grace makes his, what he has done available to you on an unearned, undeserved basis. Anytime you say that, I can guarantee there's people sitting right here in this auditorium that when you heard me minister last night, your thought was, are you just saying that you can live in sin? Don't people need to know about the wrath and the punishment of God? Anytime you talk about the goodness of God, it has been instilled into us that you can't just tell people God is good. You've got to use fear to hold people in check. Some of you may not have consciously thought of this, but I can guarantee you this is a mindset that we have. We use negative things to motivate, not positive things. And anytime you start talking about, if you just tell people about the love of God, well, this is going to free them to go live in sin. That is a, that, that's been ground into us. But I'm telling you, it's just the opposite. It's like in a marriage relationship. If the man is always telling the woman, you better be faithful to me. And if you aren't, I guarantee you, I'll find out and I'll punish you. And if you try and use fear and intimidation to make a person love you, it will work to a degree because people are used to that motivation. But the Bible says, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, that fear has torment. And anytime fear is what is motivating you to do something, it may motivate you, but it will torment you. And eventually you dislike the torment so much that you'll find a way to escape that kind of a relationship. If a person just keeps you as a friend because you're always afraid that if you do something wrong, that they are going to be on your case and criticizing you. I guarantee you those will not be real close friends. If you really want a good friendship, you have to give people the freedom to walk away. You don't control them. You let them love you because they love you. And see, in a marriage relationship, if you bring flowers or give candy or gifts to your mate, that doesn't make them want to go commit adultery. When you show people kindness, it makes them love you back. Love is actually a stronger motivation than fear, but most people are more comfortable and more accustomed to fear as a motivation than they are love, and especially religious people. Religious people have been taught that the reason you serve God is because fear that he won't answer your prayers if you don't come to church. If you don't study the word, God's not going to do this. And And religion has motivated people to serve God out of fear. And so when you start talking about the goodness of God, the gospel, the nearly too good to be true news that God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't make him love you more and you can't make him love you less. God loves you because he is love and not because you are lovely. And when you start telling people that God's love is not based on their performance, immediately the religious mind comes up and says, well, now, wait a minute. What about the wrath of God? What about the fear of God? So this is why Paul brought this out. He said the wrath of God is revealed. If you look this up, some of the other translations will talk about it's already been revealed. This isn't talking about something that just happens Every time a person sins, although, you know, that is true that we have a conscience and an intuitive knowledge of right and wrong, but God has revealed himself from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, see, this is contrary to what you hear many people say today. 
We have people on our news all of the time and um, that we are just being bombarded with stuff, that there are people out here living in total sin and rejection of every standard of morality and they have no conviction. They brag about it. You know, I'm not trying to single out any group. I'm just trying to make this so that you understand what I'm talking about. But you know, there was a time that there, there's always been homosexuals. When I was a kid, there was a guy who wanted to take me out camping after my dad died and I didn't know the difference. But boy, my uh, pastor and my mother, they knew about this guy and it took a while for me to figure out why they wouldn't let me go camping with this guy. But he was a homosexual. But you know what? He hid it. They didn't have parades about it and brag about it. And they didn't come out of the closet and make everybody feel like something's wrong with you if you don't accept me. And yet today we have people that it appears on the surface as if they have no conviction, no compulsion about this, and that they just, you know, this is the way that they are supposed to be. That is a lie according to this. This scripture says God has already revealed himself from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And I'm not just picking on homosexuality, but the same thing's true with adultery. I've got people today that, you know, just shacking up with your partner is, is uh, nearly accepted practice, even among many Christians. And they say that there's nothing wrong with that. In your heart, you know that that's wrong. You know, when I was in Vietnam, I uh, was relatively young in the Lord and I was holding a Bible study and I had about seven or eight people in this Bible study and an atheist came in and he listened for just a brief period of time and then he started asking me questions and I couldn't answer his questions. I didn't know what the scripture said about it. And anyway, he just made a fool out of me. And uh, he got up and he said, you're a fool for believing in this stuff. And he says, I'm leaving. And he got up and left. And all seven of the people in the Bible study left with the atheist. He was a lot more convincing than I was. And so I was just sitting there and I was praying and saying, well, that went well. And I was thinking, God, what do I do? And within 20 or 30 minutes, this atheist comes back in and sits down. It was in the chapel library. And he sat down and started looking at some things. And so I was praying and saying, oh God, give me another chance. How do I reach this guy? And I had my eyes closed and I looked up and here was this guy standing right in front of me. And he says, I want what you've got. And I said, you do? I said, <laughs> I said, why do you want what I got? You just made a fool out of me. And he says, I know. And he says, he was a graduate of Princeton and he was an intellectual And he says, my whole life is built on an argument and I just made you look like a fool and yet you have something that goes beyond intellect. You've got a relationship with the Lord. There's something real on the inside of you that I want. He says, I want what you've got. And man, it was awesome. I got to lead the guy to the Lord and and he got born again. But anyway, my point is, see, that he, in front of people, in his mind, he could sit there and present all of his arguments, but at a heart level, he knew that there was a God. He knew that those things were wrong. And there's a lot of people that just get into their mind and they start going by what our society is saying today. But on a heart level, everybody knows that there's a God. When I was in Vietnam, when the bombs got to dropping and the bullets were flying, all of the atheists were crying out to God at the top of their lungs, making deals. 
God, you get me out of this and I'll serve you. And I mean, you could hear the atheists screaming at the top of their lungs when it looked like we were going to die. There is no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. Everybody on a heart level knows that there's a God, zero exceptions. And somebody says, oh, that's not true. That's because you've been listening to the 10 spies report on stuff instead of the scripture account. I'm telling you, the scripture says God has revealed himself from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. My personal opinion is I believe that this is why people fight so hard for recognition, for homosexuality and adultery and all of these immoral things to be recognized is because they have a conviction on the inside and it hinders them from going out and enjoying their sinful lifestyle. So they want the approval and the acceptance of other people to drown out the voice of their conscience. See the next verse in verse 19, he says, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. Notice it's manifest in them, not just to them outwardly, but it's in them for God has showed it unto them. Every person has an intuitive knowledge of God on the inside of them without exception. This is the answer for those who come up. This is one of the questions that this atheist brought up to me. And he says, what about the people that have never heard about God? How is God going to judge them? They've never heard the name of Jesus. Are you saying that God would just damn people to hell that never even had a chance? And at the time I didn't have an answer for it, but here's the answer that every person has had God reveal himself to them, whether they've ever heard the name of Jesus or not, God has revealed himself. And the next verse in verse 20, it says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Boy, this is a great statement. They're clearly seen. This isn't something that is so vague that they just don't have a concept of it. It says the the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. The Godhead is talking about the Trinity. You know, some people think the Trinity is such a hard concept to get hold of and that this is a relatively sophisticated Christian doctrine. But I remember when I was in Vietnam, right outside of my base Uh, headquarters, there were these temples that were taller than this building. They were, I don't know, at least four or maybe five stories tall. And they were three separate temples that were built right next to each other. So close. I never got out and walked up to them, but it looked like that, you know, you would have had to have turned sideways to scoot in between these temples. And they predated Christianity by 500 years. 500 years before Christianity reached Vietnam, there were these three temples and I asked about it and they said they worshiped a God who manifested himself in three parts. Now, am I saying that that is, that it was a true worship of God? No, because you know, this, this chapter goes on to talk about how they took the truth and then they perverted it and turned it into birds and animals. Matter of fact, when we were in, um, Cancun, we went out to Chichen Itza where the Mayans had built this temple and stuff. And anyway, we saw some of the higher, uh, I don't guess they call them hieroglyphics, but some of their pictograph type stuff. And anyway, they showed a God that was in three parts. And that was in uh, Mexico, you know, a world apart from Vietnam. 
all over the world. Even his eternal power and Godhead is made uh, clear to people. And some people are thinking, you know, I had an employee one time who worked for me and he heard me teaching on this very thing. And he wasn't critical, but he just said that his experience, that wasn't true. He was raised in an atheist home and he was taught that there was no God. And he said he'd never had any knowledge of God. And so he was questioning what these verses were saying. And he, as he prayed about it, he had a flashback. And the Lord reminded him that when he was like 11 years old or something, he lived in the Los Angeles area and he had climbed up on one of the hills to watch the sunset. And as the sun set, all of a sudden, all of these lights started coming on in the city of Los Angeles. And he saw just millions and millions and millions of lights. And he was thinking about what an effort it was. Every one of those lights had to be put there by someone. And he was thinking about how much effort that was, what a job it was. And as he looked at this, his glance just went up to the heavens and he saw millions and millions of stars. And he said that the thought came to him that just as surely as every one of those lights had to be put there, they didn't grow that way, that every one of these stars had to be created by someone. And he remembered that as a young boy, God revealed himself to him and showed him But because of his atheist background, he immediately shelved the thought and rejected it. But he came back to me and he says, you know, it was true. God did speak to me. And he started remembering times that God was speaking to him, but he had just denied it and turned away from it. I'm telling you, every person, according to these three verses, every person that has ever breathed on this planet has had God speak to them and reveal himself to them. I was with a group of pastors in Chicago and we were talking about how we came to know the Lord. And I was the only one that grew up with a sense and a knowledge of God. And and I got born again at the age of eight. But when I was four and five years old, I remember I used to lay in our backyard and look up at the stars and just think about God and ask God, what's the purpose for my life? Lord, what do you want to do with me? And I mean, I did it so much that my mother thought something was wrong with me. And she says, quit doing it. And she made me quit doing it. So I went out and hid in a corner where nobody could see me. And I remember as a kid, I used to do this and just ponder about things. And as I shared my testimony, I was kind of embarrassed because this one guy in particular... He had grown up in a home that was not a Christian home. His parents were alcoholics. He had grown up on dope since he was like seven or eight years old. He was high his whole life. And he got born again in a mental institute because he had fried his brain. And somebody came through and preached to him and he got born again. And he honestly didn't have much of a past. He couldn't remember hardly anything. And... uh, as I, he gave his testimony, and then when I gave mine, how I've known the Lord since I was a little tiny kid, and I've never gone away, and I've sought the Lord with my whole heart as long as I can remember, I felt kind of embarrassed, like it isn't fair, and you know, and I was apologetic, and boy, he jumped on my case, and as I was sharing about how I would lay there and just look up at the sky and say, God, I know you're here. What, what do you want with me? What's your purpose for my life? He related and he says, I did that exact same thing. And God spoke some things through me. And he says, I willfully rejected it. 
It wasn't malicious, you know, as a, as a young kid, but he said he willfully chose to follow the crowd and to do these other things. But anyway, he was again confirming these scriptures. So the point that I'm making through all of this, I believe the reason Paul put this in here is when you start talking about the grace of God and you talk about the goodness of God and people say, no, you've got to show them that God is angry and God's mad and you've got to instill the wrath of God. He's saying you don't have to do it because everybody on a heart level intuitively knows that there is only one God and they are not him and that there is rejection and punishment coming for their sins. That has been placed on the inside of every single person who's ever lived. Regardless of what culture you grow up in, regardless of anything, there is this intuitive knowledge that we have done wrong and that the wages of sin is death. Every person knows that. So you don't have to preach the wrath of God to people. At a heart level, they already know this. What people need to know is not that they've done wrong, but they need to know that God loves us in spite of what we've done, that he loves us so much that he placed all of our punishment upon Jesus. And he punished Jesus for your sin and my sin so much so that there isn't even any wrath left in God for those who will accept Jesus. Now, those who don't accept Jesus, ultimately there is wrath coming against them and God is just in doing that. But he's extended mercy towards every person. And actually, when a person rejects him, and I could, I could just stay on this for a long time. I'm really wanting to move on. So I'm going to say this and move on, hopefully. <laughs> but God, for a person to go to hell, they have had to overcome thousands and thousands and thousands of times that God has spoken to them. He had, they have this intuitive knowledge on the inside. And then those of us that live in a quote unquote Christian nation where we have heard a lot of things about God, we not only have the intuitive knowledge on the inside that every person on this planet has, but we've also hard, heard parts of the word of God. If you've ever heard John three 16, you've heard enough to be born again. And God has placed people in the paths of every single person so that thousands and thousands of times he has tried to turn them from their destructive lifestyle and turn them unto himself. And if a person goes to hell, you could sit there and say God's wrath comes upon them and it is the wrath of God. But in a sense, they've had to try, climb over mountains of his mercy that has been expressed towards them. So in a sense, all God is doing is just enforcing their choice. They chose to reject this intuitive knowledge. They chose to go by their own reasoning instead of by what God was speaking in their heart. It's like God put a homing device on the inside of every person that's ever lived. And if they would just listen to it, this homing device would lead them to God. God is drawing people from the inside. And then Psalms chapter 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. Night unto night shows knowledge. There is no speech. There's no language or tongue that this voice hasn't gone out into all of the earth. So that it says just like this right here that they are without excuse. Nobody is ever gonna stand in front of God and say, God, I didn't know. You'll hear people say that. And say, I didn't know. But the truth is they knew. They hardened their heart towards it. They rejected these still small voices of God speaking to them. You know, this is one of the reasons that Psalms chapter 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. 
If people would be still, if they would get quiet, if they would just spend some time being still, every time you do that, this homing device starts going off in your heart and starts making you think about, are you using your life? Are you making the best use of your life? Is this what life is all about? This is the reason that people that don't know God hate to be still. It's the reason they hate to be quiet. They got to have something on all of the time. They've got to be doing something. They just, they talk about being bored and they just can't stand it. It's because this homing device starts going off and they start feeling a dissatisfaction with the way that they're living their life. We need to be still. Even as Christians, even after we're born again, you need to be still or the voices of this world will drown out the still small voice of God on the inside. But God has revealed himself to every person on this planet. You do not need to tell people what a piece of trash they are. They know it intuitively. And religion is not convinced of that. They think you got to preach the wrath of God and it's not so. What people need to hear is the goodness of God and the fact that even though you are a piece of trash, God loves you. And that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die. And, the, and, and when you tell people about the goodness of God, that's the power of God. It draws people to God. And that's the point that he's making right here. This, these few verses that I've already covered. Did you know what? This is more than enough to get people born again if we would just follow these things. You know, let me read this to you out of the uh, Amplified. If I, you know, this is first time I've ever done this. I'm getting into high tech. Here is Romans chapter one, verse 18. Amplified, for God's holy wrath and indignation are revealed. See, it's not something that's going to be revealed in the future. This is talking about something that's already happened. It, It is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who in their wickedness repress and hinder the truth and make it inoperative. Notice that, see, the truth is there, but people repress it. They hinder it. They deny it. Verse 19, for that which is known about God is evident to them and made plain in their inner consciousness because God himself has showed it unto them. For ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature and attributes, that is his eternal power and divinity, have been made intelligible and clearly discernible in and through the things that have been made, his handiwork, so men are without excuse altogether without any defense or justification. Man, that just is pretty clear. God has already revealed this. So the gospel is not telling people that there's a God and you're a sinner and sin separated you from God. Repent or else, turn or burn. That's not the gospel. Did you know all of those things are true, but it's not gospel. It's not good news. It's certainly not nearly too good to be true news. The gospel is that even though there is a God and that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, even though that the wrath of God and the judgment, since he's holy, it does exist. The good news is that God loves you so much. He knew you could never live up to any standard he gave. So he sent his son and he placed every bit of his wrath against your sin 
on his own son. And when Jesus died for you, he paid it all. There isn't any wrath left in God for people who will accept Jesus. Your sins, past, present, and even future sins that you haven't committed yet have all been paid for by God. Now, for the person who's not born again, God is extending grace towards them. We're living in an age of grace, and he is not the one who's punishing and hurting people who are lost. But there is an impending judgment coming if they don't accept this great price. Actually, I'm not sure that this is technically correct. So if I'm wrong, give me some mercy. Amen. But the way I look at it is that the sins of the whole world have been paid for. First John chapter two, verse two says he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the sins of the whole world have been paid for. And again, here's the part that I'm still learning on. So give me some grace, but I'm not sure that people are going to go to hell for homosexuality, for adultery, for lying, or for stealing because they've been paid for. Not only the sins of the believers, but the sins of the unbelievers. So some people see this and they say, well, so then there is no hell. Nobody's going to go to hell. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there is a real place called hell. It talks about that we are saved from the wrath to come. There is a wrath coming. Well, if your sins are paid for, what do you go to hell for? I believe the sin of rejecting the love of God expressed through Jesus is a million times worse than adultery, homosexuality, lying, or murder. To have Almighty God come and pay for our sins and pay this huge price that he did not have to pay. He had no accountability. He had no uh, debt involved in this at all. He did it as a total act of grace and mercy. He just paid for our sins. And for God to do all of that and then people to ignore it or to reject it. Rejecting it is one thing, but to ignore it is terrible to re- to ignore, to neglect so great a salvation. There isn't a hell deep enough or an eternity long enough to punish a person who would go against the millions and millions of convictions that God put in their heart and the revelation about his great love. And they just spurn that. I believe people are going to go to hell for rejecting Jesus, not just their individual sins. Their sins have been paid for, but man, rejecting Jesus, if you do that, you are without hope. Man, those are strong statements. And God has revealed these things to every person that has ever lived on this planet. And in the last part of the book of Romans, chapter 1, he begins to show that even though every person has had this revelation, you can harden yourself to it. You can deny this. And as he describes, you can actually reach a point that the Bible down here calls being reprobate to where you don't want to... God's knowledge. You don't want to think about him. And so God just gives you over to a reprobate mind. He literally takes conviction away from you. In John chapter six, verse 44, Jesus was speaking and he says, no man can come unto the father except the Holy Spirit draws him. We do not come to God on our own. We make make these statements about, I found God. The truth is nobody found God. God found you. 
God's been pursuing you. God draws you unto himself and eventually you wake up and feel the drawing of God and you respond positively and you get born again. But the truth is nobody comes to God on their own. It is not human nature, not fallen human nature to seek after God. If you have a desire for God, it's because the Holy Spirit placed that desire there. The Holy Spirit is drawing you. And so if a person just continually rejects this conviction and drawing of the Holy Spirit, you can pass a threshold. It says over in Genesis chapter six, when the Lord was talking about the days of Noah and he saw that the wickedness of man was great. And he says, my spirit will not always strive with man. God is long suffering. There's many scriptures that talk about him being long suffering, but there is not a single scripture that talks about he's forever suffering. You know what? There, God is just. And because of his justice, sin's got to be paid. The gospel is that sin has been paid in the flesh of his son, the Lord Jesus. And for those who accept Jesus, there is no longer any wrath, no condemnation. All of God's wrath was placed upon Jesus. But for those who do not accept Jesus, there is a wrath coming. Although God loves the entire world and his extended mercy towards them, there is coming a day that for the people who just totally reject Jesus or ignore Jesus, there is coming a payday. And I guarantee you the wrath of God, because he is just, he's offered us this great salvation. Nobody's ever going to be able to say it's not fair. He's more than fair. He's more than fair. Thousands, millions of times, he's extended mercy towards every person on this planet. You can take the worst atheist, you know, I, I forget the name, so I'm not even going to try and say it, but somebody over in, uh, in Europe, a famous atheist who has spent his entire life uh, arguing against Christianity and has been very vocal. Within the last year, he's come to realize that there is a God. And he's now renounced it. And he says, I know that there's got to be a God. I don't know that he's accepted Jesus as his savior, but see the whole time in his heart, he knew the truth. And God has been merciful to this guy for 50 or 60 years or whatever. But eventually, if this man doesn't make a decision for the Lord in this life, there is coming an accounting day. God is holy. And if you don't accept his payment for sin, you're going to have to pay for the sin of rejecting Jesus. Now, in a sense, I'm preaching to the choir. I believe that most of you in here are born again. You know, last night we had, I don't know, 10 people or so born again, but hopefully every person here is born again. In most of our meetings, we will have five or 10 times as many people come. You're the fanatics that came to a summer family Bible college, <laughs> took your vacation. So I know that most of you in here are born again. But did you know, the reason I'm going to all of this is because this is the way that Paul approached it, saying when you talk about the grace of God, you don't have to be fearful that this is just going to turn people loose to go live in sin because there's this intuitive knowledge on the inside of every one of us of right and wrong. And if a person gets turned onto the love and the mercy and grace of God, love will compel you to serve God. You don't have to be motivated by fear. You can either preach like on giving and you can take Malachi chapter three, verses eight through 10. Well, a man robbed God, yet you have robbed me. Yet you say, wherein is we robbed thee? In tithes and in offerings. 
You're cursed with the curse, even this whole nation. Bring all of the tithes into the storehouse. You can either take those verses and preach wrath and say, you better pay your tithes or God's going to get you. You're going to be cursed. Man, I've heard that my whole life. And you know what? It will make people out of fear of punishment shell out 10%. But you can preach the goodness of God and you can use the motivation like over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where it says, let every man gives not grudgingly or of necessity for God loves a cheerful giver. You can't get any more literal fulfillment of that than Malachi 3 verse 8 where it says you're cursed with the curse. He's saying, don't give under the curse. Don't give because you're buying God off. In a sense, it's like the church has been saying, it's, uh, God is like the Godfather. You either pay up or he's going to break your knees, amen. He's God the Father, not the Godfather. We're supposed to, if you could understand how much he loves you, I've seen people get born again and sign their entire paycheck over to me. And I had the next day go and find them and say, hey, it's wonderful that you're excited, but God doesn't ask for a hundred percent. You know, are you sure you want to do this? I've had to slow people down and tell them that you don't have to give everything. See, a person will do more out of love than they'll ever do out of fear And yet the majority of churches, the majority of preachers today would rather use fear because every person responds to fear. Not every person understands the goodness of God and it's not a strong enough motivation to make them want to do things. And so just use the easy thing. You can preach the wrath of God and make even an unbeliever give 10%. (laughs) Church I grew up in, the guy used to, some of you think I'm making this up, but I'm not. He used to jump up on the part where you put your Bible up here and stand on top of this and lean over and grab the mic and scream. And he would lose anywhere from three to five pounds every time he taught in sweat. He would just scream and yell and it was wild. And sweat would literally come out over the edge of his shoes. You could see puddles. He'd sweat so much. And he would scream. And one of his favorite things is, sin's got to be judged. Sin's got to be judged. If you don't judge it, God will judge you. If you don't pay your tithes, God will take it out in doctor bills. If you don't pay your tithes, God will make your washing machine break. And he will take that 10% from you. He'll make your car break down. And sin's got to be judged. But what he was missing was sin has been judged in the flesh of the Lord Jesus. It's an Old Testament principle that God is holy and we are unholy and sin's got to be judged. But in the New Testament, it is so clear that it has been judged in Jesus. And sad to say, the church has not entered into the new covenant. They're still living under the old covenant, afraid that God's going to get them, afraid that God will not bless them, won't answer their prayers. And they are approaching God on the basis of their own performance instead of on the basis of what Jesus has done. If you've been born again, all of your sins, past, present, and future, if I can talk fast enough this week, I may teach those things out of Hebrews 9 and 10. But all of your sins have already been atoned for and God doesn't see any sin in you. 
God doesn't see you as a sinner. God is a spirit and he looks at you in the spirit man and he sees you righteous and holy and pure. You know, let me close with this verse. I, I really was trying to get through Romans chapter one, but turn over here to John chapter 12 and let me show you these passages. In John chapter 12, this is right before Jesus was crucified and he was in public and he just cried out in verse 28 and says, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake unto him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. You know, this 32nd verse is often interpreted that if we just preach Jesus properly and lift him up correctly, that God will draw lots of people unto himself. And we use this to think that a church that has a large number of people, they must be really glorifying Jesus because look at all of the people that are coming. And conversely, we use it that if very few people are coming, you just aren't really glorifying Jesus. If you were glorifying Jesus, you'd have a crowd. That's not what this is talking about. If you'll notice right here, the word men is italicized. You know, one of the reasons that I like the King James Version, I know that I seem to be in a minority on this, but I, I grew up with it. It's not hard for me to understand that the means you. It's not like it just makes me fall and stumble. I can figure that out. I'm that sharp. It's not hard. But one of the reasons I like the King James is because if there is a word that wasn't in the original language, the translators had enough integrity to put it in, in uh, italics so that you would recognize they inserted this to try and help you understand the meaning. Other translations don't do that. But the King James did that. And so I, I feel safer with that. And this word is italicized, meaning that it wasn't there. They added the word man. So this verse is actually saying, I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all unto me. All what? Well, they just assumed it was talking about men, but the context of it in verse 31, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince of this world cast out. And in verse 33, right after that, it says this, he said, signifying what death he should die. When it said, if I be lifted up, he wasn't talking about if we preach about him properly and glorify the Lord. He was talking about being lifted up on a cross, being crucified what kind of death he was going to die. So the verse in front and the verse behind is all talking about Jesus bearing the judgment of God. And I believe that it's not correct to say that he will draw all men unto him, but what he was really saying was, I will draw all judgment unto me. Jesus, when he got crucified, took all of the judgment all of the wrath of God for your sins and my sins, not some of it, all of it, all of it. And he suffered for your sins and my sin. Jesus was forsaken by his father. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a quotation from Psalms chapter 22, verse two. And then the next verse explains why he forsook him. In verse 20, 
Uh, Psalms 22, 2, it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But verse three says, but thou art holy, O God, which inhabits the praises of Israel. You know why God forsook Jesus? Because Jesus became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he became sin. He didn't just taste sin. He didn't just in a token sense, take a tiny bit of sin so that symbolically he died for the sins of the world. He became sin. He became everything that you and I and every human being on this planet have ever done. He became an adulterer. He became a homosexual. He became a murderer. And I know that some people that's offensive because you look at Jesus as being holy and sinless and he was, but he became sin for us who knew no sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God. He literally had every sin of every human being who's ever lived on this planet enter into his body. All of the judgment of God. He was like a lightning rod that drew all of the wrath and the punishment of God to himself. And Jesus suffered total separation. He was totally rejected by his father because that's what you and I deserved. He suffered our sin. And for you to suffer for your sin, whether it's suffer in hell or either just suffer shame or suffer the uh, dishonor that goes with the things that you've done. If you are bearing any of that shame and dishonor and if you're limping through life because of your sin, you may be thinking that you're somehow or another honoring God, but you're actually dishonoring Jesus. You're saying that he didn't pay enough, that you've also got to suffer. I'm telling you, Jesus paid for your sins, all of the wrath that God came upon Jesus so that there is zero wrath left. He punished his son. If for some reason, if you could imagine me being God and I wanted to help you and if I loved you so much that I let my son take your place and I killed my son for you. If you could imagine that, I guarantee you, I would not have done that unless it solved the problem. If it was just a partial solution, but then you've also got to be holy and you got to do everything just right. I wouldn't have gone to that extreme because you would have violated it. It wouldn't have worked. The only reason that God put so much wrath upon his son and did this is because it satisfied his wrath. There isn't any wrath left in God. For those who've accepted Jesus, he has totally satisfied him and God sees you and he is not mad at you. He is not holding back. He is not not answering your prayer because you haven't done everything right. I talked to a woman out there before the service today and she was saying, I don't know what I've done wrong. I don't know what, why God hadn't healed me. And you know what? It's not God who hasn't healed God. It's not like God's got his arms folded saying, do something else. You do more or I'm not going to release my power. God's got his arms open trying to get the healing to us. And it's us that are letting condemnation stop our own faith from working. We don't feel worthy. I'm telling you, God has already paid for your sins. You have this intuitive knowledge that you've sinned and come short of the glory of God, but you've got to believe the gospel that even though you deserve the wrath and the judgment and rejection of God, it's already been placed upon Jesus and there is zero wrath left in God for those of you who make Jesus your Lord. There is no condemnation 
to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. That's the gospel. And if you could understand this, I tell you what, it just, it it transforms your life. And it will cause you to live a holier life accidentally than you ever lived on purpose when you were under fear and judgment. You will serve God more out of love than you'll ever serve God out of fear. So you don't have to worry about, well, this is just going to free people to go live in sin. I've had people say, you're giving people a license to sin. And I tell them, man, they're doing pretty good without a license. I'm not giving anybody a license to sin. I'm giving you the antidote to sin. If I could talk fast enough, you can go to Romans chapter four, Romans chapter six. Sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law, but under grace. If you are under law, then sin will have dominion over you. The law binds you. Grace sets you free. It's the gospel that releases the power of God. Hallelujah. God is a good God all of the time. Amen. Well, I went about five minutes over, but that was close. (laughs) Praise God. You know, I'd like to ask our prayer ministers if they would.